our children who are suffering. It won't be long. It won't be long. Storm-tossed pilgrim, if you're struggling, gather here today to celebrate the life of William Otho Edmonds. I did not know his middle name. <laughs> it's a weird one. I think it's a family name. So. Fitzbill. Most of us knew him as Bill. And on behalf of Sharon and the rest of the family, I would like to thank you for being here this afternoon. Also thankful uh, to have Bill's former pastor, Reverend Johnny Jervis, with us here today. Bill stepped through the doorway of this life to the life to come, April 2nd, 2017. And all of us here that have gathered, we've been changed because we knew Bill. He was a genuine friend to so very many. He was a diligent servant, 
serving as a deacon for many years in several churches. He was a loving husband to Sharon for 47 years. Two weeks ago, Cameron and I, we sat down to talk with Bill about this particular service. He wanted to have a hand in it, which is why the last song at the visitation time was from Bob Dylan knocking on heaven's door. <laughs> that was an absolute must. It was a non-negotiable for Bill. He had to have that song. And also, just to, to say, because it probably needs to be said, just so Sharon doesn't have to deal with it, like, Sharon didn't pick out the pictures for the visitation. <laughs> Those were all Bill, as you could tell with several, with his shirt on his head <laughs> and sitting on Santa Claus's lap, my favorite. <laughs> Bill helped us select the songs for today. As we think about the music that is being presented, this is the message that Bill wanted you to hear. He helped us think through the scriptures that he would like to portray and have read. He told us what he would want us to say to you as you've gathered here today. And he didn't want this to be a dreary day. He wanted it to be a day of celebration. And not, not just a celebration of his life. Because sometimes that's what happens. We say positive things and we think very thoughtfully about Bill or about someone. He didn't want it just to be about his life. He wanted the focus to be upon his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, as Bill always said, to that point, <laughs> let us draw comfort from the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Word of God says this. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we take these next few moments together to pause and to reflect on someone so very dear to all of us. We pray, Lord, that it would be a healing time, a restorative time. I know that Bill would want a time where people hear and trust in Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that 
as we mourn, Lord, that you would continually, through your spirit, remind us that we do not mourn like those who do not have hope. But we mourn with full assurance of the promises that you've given to us in the gospel, that there will be reunion, that there will be resurrection. And we praise you for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to take the opportunity to, uh, at least in video, since I can't be present with you, to share some thoughts and some new information uh, concerning my situation. But I wanted to do it in a way that everyone would be hearing the same thing. And from that, hopefully you'll leave this video with uh, good, clear, updated information. And at the same time, I'll be able to share with you as though I was with you physically there. Uh, first thing I want to say is you just do not know how much sharing I miss not being able to physically come and sit and enjoy the activities that we have at J-Town Baptist. Sharon and I want to uh, say to you as, as a fellowship of uh, believers in our church family that we have been so appreciative of cards and messages and texts and uh, emails and things of that nature that have come our way. And uh, don't stop because uh, Sharon runs to the mailbox every day. Uh, it's kind of a big event at this point. Um, and we look forward at some point to be able to uh, regroup and, and share with you on a face-to-face -face basis as the Lord wills. Um, like I said in the beginning, it's not the kind of news you look for, but uh, God is still in control, and what he has in my life and in your life uh, is not for you to say, we have our wants and we have our wishes, but God is in control. And uh, weeks and weeks ago, when I went before the church and just brought you up to date to where we were headed and what might happen, uh, I said to everybody, even facing the consequence of physically leaving you, Sharon, and others, remember, where I'm going is a place once I'm there, I sure wouldn't want to come back here. <laughs> and to that point, uh, we want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and uh, celebrate with your families and remember that Christ is in Christmas. Thank you all. That's a video that we had taken back uh, just before Christmas, as you can tell, where he updated the church on his situation. But we wanted you to see uh, firsthand the hope that he had in Christ and in the gospel of Christ. So let's stand and sing of that gospel. Wow. 
for you. William Otho Edmonds, or Bill as he was known by most of us, was born on November 21st, 1943, to Bill and Paula Edmonds. Bill entered the presence of the Lord while at home on April 2nd, 2017. The Lord graciously gave Bill 73 years of life. The Lord also gave Bill 47 years of marriage to his best friend and loving wife, Sharon. Bill was preceded in death by his parents, Bill and Paula Edmonds, and his brother, Jerry Edmonds. Left to cherish Bill's memory is his loving wife, Sharon Edmonds, 
along with his brother Jimmy Edmonds, sisters Bonnie Porter and her husband John, Ann Corso and her husband Ken. Bill's in-laws, Joan Hawker, Tom Strong and his wife Mary Lou, and Greg Strong and his wife Becky. Bill also leaves behind numerous nieces and nephews. Bill is a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and a member of Jefferson Town Baptist Church where he was very active and loved deeply.
On behalf of the family, I want to thank Pastor Luke and Pastor Cameron and all the musicians and singers and the ladies who helped make the meal um, for your heartfelt work in putting together the celebration of life in accordance with Bill's after wishes. I'll pull it together. <laughs> Thank you to each of you for coming to celebrate the life of the husband, brother, uncle, neighbor, and friend we all love. Sorry. <laughs> Bill and I had a chance to talk about this celebration. He spoke in detail about timelines, phone trees, who would be involved, <laughs> the music, and then he asked me to speak on behalf of the family. Now, this was a role that Bill had filled with compassion, composure, and humor at the memorial services for our father, our mother, and our brother. And now he was asking me, his baby sister, to fill his shoes. I agreed, even though, in my mind, I pictured what's happening. <laughs> a blubbering hot mess, rambling unintelligibly. But then he continued, you can say anything you want, the cornier, the better. <laughs> During the visitation, I had the opportunity to talk with Bill's friends, some, of, some I knew and some I met today for the first time. Each of us here today had a unique relationship with Bill. Most of you knew him during some phase of his adult life, and I use the word adult loosely <laughs> because I think we can agree that Bill enjoyed a childlike exuberance throughout his life. So in the spirit of a celebration of life, and with his permission to say whatever I want, I'm going to tell you something about Billy, as he was called by his family. First of all, you may not know that as a child and young man, Billy had a full head of curls. <laughs> he was the second of five siblings, our father's namesake, and he bore an amazing resemblance. They were both short in stature and had big hearts. They were also both smart dressers, including a fondness for the right hat and the right shoes. Billy was especially pleased when he found a good bargain on shoes. <laughs> and I think this started young. Our mother enjoyed telling the story of a special pair of boots. When Billy was a kid, a pair of cowboy boots that a neighbor was selling at a yard sale caught his eye. Our parents were surprised when Billy came home with one boot. <laughs> when asked what he was gonna do with one boot, Billy explained that the pair cost 50 cents, but he only had a quarter. <laughs> Unfazed, he purchased one boot and asked the neighbor to hold the other one. He would return for the other boot when he got his allowance the following week. Now, as I was originally thinking about this story, my recollection was that he was a, a little kid 
But if you saw my notes up here, you'd see that a little boy is crossed out, replaced by the word kid, because as I started doing the math, thinking about where they lived and the time it occurred, he wasn't such a little boy when he did this. <laughs> Billy was genuinely interested in others. He asked about family, work, and interests. He listened, remembered, and ask about details the next time you saw him. That's probably one reason why he had so many close friends. He had a lot of practice making new friends. You see, before Billy left home, my family lived in Abilene, Kansas, Crawley, Louisiana, Republic, Missouri, Charlotte, North Carolina, Kirkwood, Missouri, and Prairie Village, Kansas. Billy left home to go to college in Lawrence, Kansas, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. Rock Chalk Jayhawks. <laughs> After college, Billy joined the Peace Corps and lived for two years in the mountains outside Mankayan Benguet on the island of Luzon in the Philippines. In 1969, not long after returning to the States, Bill moved to Breathitt County, Kentucky to work with a local craft co-op to market the beautiful furniture made at Sulphur Gap Chair Factory and other crafts made by talented artisans of Southeast Kentucky. It was through this connection that Billy met Lloyd and Minnie Lou Strong and soon afterward, their daughter Sharon. It would be an understatement to say that Sharon stole his heart. <laughs> Shortly after meeting her, he called home to tell our parents he had met the girl he was going to marry. And if we learned anything from Billy, or about Billy, from the cowboy boot story, it's that he had a can-do attitude. They got married in May of 1970. I know Billy would be the first to say, and I know we all agree, he chose wisely. <laughs> Billy and Sharon lived in London, Kentucky until they moved to Louisville in 1999. During almost 30 years in London, Bill and Sharon built very close friendships. I know this because my family benefited from those close relationships. When we moved to London in 1997, we were immediately made welcome for no other reason than that we were Billy and Sharon's kids. Children were drawn to Billy, probably because he was a big kid himself. His nieces and nephews thought he was fun to be around. He always had fun gadgets and toys. He also liked sharing his hobbies, like taking Josh and Kendra fishing for the first time or letting Max fly a remote control plane. He played children's board games with a strong competitive spirit. He always played to win even when playing Candyland against a four-year-old. <laughs> His ultimate loser scoring method has been permanently incorporated into family gameplay. As a kid, Billy learned the art of teasing from a master, our Uncle Jay. On rare occasions, the teasing would backfire. One year, our family gathered in Kansas City to celebrate Christmas at our parents' home. Billy brought his Christmas stocking and hung it on the mantle. As Christmas Eve approached, he questioned our nephew Josh about whether or not he'd been good all year. 
Billy explained that Santa would leave a lump of coal in his stocking if he had not been good. I think this tradition was news to Josh, who had always been a well-behaved, good little boy. But Billy succeeded in getting into his head. He planted and nurtured this seed of doubt. <laughs> Josh worried about Santa's evaluation of his behavior during the previous year. After all, not only did he not want a lump of coal, but who needs that public humiliation on Christmas morning? Our mother could see that Josh was beginning to fret and told Billy to stop teasing him, but he couldn't help himself. <laughs> Christmas morning came and Uncle Billy was excited to see that there was something in the toe of his Christmas stocking. He made a point of letting everyone know that Santa had left, him some, had left something for him. However, his excitement turned to disappointment when he discovered that it was not a toy or a sweet treat, but rather a lump of coal. <laughs> On several occasions, Billy told me that if he ever wrote an autobiography, it would be titled, Waiting for the Recess Bell. He loved to play. Over the years, he enjoyed a number of hobbies, including motorcycles, fishing, and remote control airplanes. Billy was what I would call a serial hobbyist. He had to be, because when he got interested in something, he was all in. His most recent hobby was golf. He still walked 18 holes at 72 and could influence the outcome of a game by getting into the heads of his competition. <laughs> After he was diagnosed with cancer, Billy underwent a number of surgeries. It wasn't unusual for him to ask the surgeon, how many strokes will this take off my golf game? If he didn't like the answer, he would consider a second opinion, hoping to shave off another stroke or two. It's not surprising that people often remark on Billy's sense of humor and optimism. He had a talent for keeping things upbeat. Billy looked to the future. He was a planner. Even as his time with us was nearing its end, in one of our last conversations, as Billy described his vision for this day, it was as though he could see it in his mind's eye, clearly. Then he smiled and he nodded and he said, I think it'll be a good time. Look before you. You know, friend is a gift, and Bill was a gift to me. He was my friend. I've often wanted to come before the church and talk to the congregation. I stood back in the back there for several years and having many problems and so forth. Bill would come back and welcome me and help me through my times of problems and so forth. And I I, I'm sorry if this such, and apologize for this situation for me to come before you this morning, but I've always wanted to look at the congregation. I looked at the back of the head so for many years, <laughs> standing back there. <laughs> but nevertheless, 
courage is contagious, you know. And uh, when, a brave, when a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And I, I, I feel that myself. I, th I thought of what to say this morning other than if what two words describes a Christian and right away you think, you know, Edmonds. What two words describes a good citizen? Bill Evans. Excuse me. What two words describes a golfer? <laughs> Bill Evans. That, he was something else. He liked to play golf anytime, anywhere, with anybody, in any place, and a lot of times he was going from Louisville, of course, playing with family and friends, and I run into him over at with Park here in, in J-Town, and we would play, and he was, he was not a trash talker like some of the golfers are today. He was a, 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 a guy, and he was with your game, he, and oftentimes, if you lose a ball in the woods or the, the rough or something you couldn't find, he, he was watching you play and he would help you. He, he would find it quicker than you would. And that was just unusual for guys playing golf because Compton, he liked to win, no doubt about it. He was, he, and he was a winner. And, he was, he, and he's, a, he's a winner with a family. And you could see here this morning and sharing his wife for so long and in the church family was certainly a, a winner for having Bill with us. Thank you very much. Yeah. There's something about going last that you can just say ditto. <laughs> <laughs> or you can look at the pictures and know who Bill was. Whew, two and a half years ago, not quite two and a half, let's say two years and two months ago, I had to stand up and my brother had passed away. My family asked me to speak. I thought, boy, that's tough. I've lost another brother. It's just as tough. So I sit there and I had to think about a few things to write down about Bill. And I was thinking about how much we all enjoyed being with Bill, how much, how much comfortable he made you. Just being with him, he would he would talk about things that politics. Did I ever know where Bill stood on politics? <laughs> From the day one, you know, there was no no doubt, you know, about Bill's what he thought about certain things. And, and politics was one. We talk about family. In my case, we get to talk about gardening an awful lot. We had fun. We helped work in his backyard. And he says, you know, i got to fix this backyard, and I need to get it just, I need a wall. I can 
it was halfway through the wall before I told him I'd never built a wall before, you know, and, and you know, it was turning out all right, so it, it, it worked out pretty good. So, but we would, you know, we'd talk about technology. He loved to stay up on the latest technology. I left my phone back there, but I got one of these new fangled phones, and he thought that was, I was right up there with him, you know, because he, he loved all that technology. He really liked doing it. He, talk families, we talk church, and then we get to talk sports. And ex you're exactly right, Gene. He, he knew what was happening in the golf world. He knows exactly what's happening today in the Masters, where we don't, you know, but he does. <laughs> and on occasion, he'd get to pull out that old antique-looking Jayhawk sweater <laughs> because ever so often Kansas would beat Kentucky. So he got to rub that in on us ever so often. <laughs> Missed that this year. Kansas did beat us, didn't they? <laughs> so I was sitting there thinking a lot about all this kind of good stuff, and I thought about him being a golfer a little bit too, and he'd practice. If he wasn't playing golf, he was practicing golf, wasn't he? And I didn't know if he wanted to get out of the house or just liked practicing, okay? <laughs> and I never asked him. But, you know, I thought about him and his golfing and his practice, and I said, I told him one time, I said, well, Bill, you're not ever going to go play on the tour or anything. And then I realized that, you know, Bill wanted to be the best golfer Bill could be. You know, he didn't want to be the best golfer in the world. He wanted to be the best he could be. And that's so many things in life. He wanted to be the best that Bill could possibly be. So I was sitting there thinking about how do I and how do we want to remember Bill? Okay, and so I started thinking about some traits about him. He had to be a nature lover, right, to go out and play this golf and rain and whatever. And you saw pictures. He's outside, loved his travels, loved going out and all this nature and stuff. He, he liked the news. He'd talk about current events. He knew exactly what was going on. I knew what, uh, what newscast he enjoyed watching. You know, there were certain ones he had to watch. He was a very good neighbor. He's a very nurturing man. He's affectionate. Had a wonderful wife. Showed a lot of affection for you. He's appreciative when we do things together. He's always appreciative, always thanked you for doing things. He's administrative. He's never ducked being, you know, asked to be in charge of something. He, and he used those talents well. He was active. And he had abilities that God had given him, and he used them. He was insightful. He was intelligent and impartial. He listened to you, didn't he? Heard that once already. He listened remembered what he talked about, what you all talked about. He was trustful, talented, thankful. He was a tither, a teacher, and he was true. He was genuine. I heard that word earlier also. When you had Bill, you knew what you got, didn't you? You know. Wasn't a counterfeit at all, was he? He was the real thing. He was sharing, sensitive, 
showed a lot of self-control. He was a servant. Also a sinner. Like all of us. But he's also a saved man. Like so many of us. He was independent. Integrity. Inspirational. He could lead us. Yeah, I mean, he could lead you in almost anywhere, wouldn't he? You know, you'd think about Bill and he, you'd follow him no matter where you were going. He was rational, respectful, responsible, pretty good role model. He was real. He was a real guy. Happy, helping, honest, hospitable. Came to your house a lot of times, didn't he? Always had your house open for us. Good husband. He brought something. That's Bill's obituary in the Courier Journal. Bill was humble. A humble man. Talks more about his church in here than it does about him. <laughs> J-Town Baptist mentioned twice in here, and the only time I said it, it's William. He didn't even want anybody to know his middle name. <laughs> William O. Edmonds. He was committed, caring, had a lot of common sense, compassionate, but mainly he was confident, and confident in his Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of times during a sermon, Bill would get that little amen. He'd sit there and say, there's an affirmation that the word of God, he was agreeing with it. And you sit there and you think about Bill a little bit and you go, you know, he was a, a good friend, a good neighbor. Good son, good brother, a good husband. All these things, when you turn them around, spell the word Christian. Because Bill turned around one day. God was tapping him. And Bill turned and accepted that challenge from God. He accepted that, that God chose him. And then he chose God right back. So as an affirmation, let's all say amen. 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 Uh, to just open up a time I think we're looking at a short time of uh, just testimony. If someone has a reflection or a memory uh, about Bill, uh, he asked that we would have that time available to you if you would like to share. And so we'll wait a moment. If anyone would like to come and share, um, that'd be great.
project quite that loud for <laughs> 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 um, I had a chance to speak with Bill uh, one last time the last week of his life and uh, my wife Brittany and I walked in and he goes well you heard the ship was sinking did you <laughs> 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 I just could not you know I mean he was just that kind of guy you know as he was going through pain and suffering you know he'd make jokes to make you laugh you know and that's just who he was. He brought joy in the midst of sorrow and pain. And um, I went there to talk with him that day, uh, both because he was a friend and a mentor and a great man, and just because I wanted to say thank you. And I wanted to thank him for his faith. Um, and I told him, uh, Bill, you know, if one day, if I have as strong a faith as you do, then <laughs> that'll be a success and my life will have been uh, lived well. And I wanted to thank him for that faith, that faith that he showed till <laughs> the Lord took him home. You know? and, uh, and before we left, he, uh, he quoted this little line. He said, you know, whatever will be, will be. He said, and if you want to say it in a foreign language, Okay, so rah, so rah.
Well, this song represents the spirit that Bill walked in over the last few years. Turn to the Lord, the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. You struck down to bind me up. You say you do it all in love, that I might know you in your suffering. And though you slay me, had a greater impact upon my life than William Otho Edmonds. He was Bill to me. He was Uncle Bill to my kids. I'm convinced that God puts certain people in our lives to encourage us, some to challenge us, some to counsel us. And Bill was every one of those things for me. Bill was such an interesting person. I think that's one thing we'll all come away with from today. Such an interesting person. It seemed that in his life he had done so many different kinds of things. And I mean, the stories that he could tell, some would wonder whether they're all true. 
but the stories that he could tell would make you laugh, they could make you cry, or maybe make, make you do both. I still remember the, the stories he would tell about his time in the Philippines, his stories about whole chicken soup, where he'd have to sift through the pot because you'd have to make sure you didn't get the beak and the feet, and the whole time the whole pot smelled like burnt feathers, and yet you have to eat it. Or, or the random photos that he would send through text. They would travel around the world. He would send strange text messages and photos. Anything from a, a weird, funny bumper sticker to, you know, a strangely shaped urinal. <laughs> His quirky sense of humor was always hilarious and always surprising. Dan Marie said... Bill did so many different things in his life, I won't belabor it, but I just want to mention, he did serve in the Peace Corps in the Philippines, he helped run a co-op in southeastern Kentucky, establishing different manufacturing factories, he was a general manager, this is my favorite, of Possum Trot Toy Company, of course he was, of course he was. I just found that out yesterday. The general manager at Laura Ashley Clothing Company and the general manager of Louisville Pillow Company. They always sought to work with excellence and with passion. As Anne-Marie said, he, he tried his hand at several different kinds of hobbies. So strange, most people kind of keep him in one section of life, but he did all kinds of things. Fishing, he built and competed with remote control miniature airplanes, loved riding motorcycles with Sharon. He was an avid golfer, it's true. He took me once. He never took me again. I, <laughs> he was probably fearful I would, you know, win or something. No, he wasn't fearful of that. Now, while Bill accomplished much in the 73 years that the Lord gave him, his greatest achievement, according to him, was convincing a beautiful, red-headed 17-year-old Sharon Strong to marry him. Bill and Sharon celebrated 47 years of marriage, and I know that all of us as we sit here, I'm standing, you sit, we would say that they've been an inspiration to all of us. We've watched both of them so faithfully walk through the last many years, 16 years of various cancer-related trials, both of them trusting and resting in the Lord's sovereign goodness, both relying upon the promises of the gospel to get them through the difficult times. Some of my most favorite memories of Bill, as someone has already said, Bill was, if you have one person, I guess it's a corner, but he was my amen corner. And as preachers, it's nice when people amen because you kind of feel like people are tracking with you. And I don't know if everybody wasn't tracking, but Bill always seemed to be tracking. And I would almost, in every service, I knew this sermon had gone poorly if I didn't get at least one. I would hear, amen. <laughs> but I remember one time he came up to me. Kim and I had been gone on a trip, and Cameron had filled in for me and preached. And, um, and Bill walked up. He always came to see me before service. He would come after, during Sunday school, and we would talk in my office. And um, he sat down, almost like with despondency. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, shook his head and said, I've had my amen privileges revoked. <laughs> and I, 
I said, what happened? So he began to tell me that Cameron had been preaching and was using an illustration. He was talking about the Moonies, giving a quotation about the Moonies. And, and he was talking about how sometimes things sound pretty good, but then in reality, they're completely heretical. <coughs> and so before he got to the point by saying, this is heresy, <coughs> Bill had offered up his, amen. <laughs> Come to find out it was completely wrong. Bill loved recommending movies to people, me especially, it seemed, from movies like You've Never Heard of You, Pig, or Brazil. The movie is not about Brazil. Any kind of low-budget, eclectic English comedy was right up his alley. Now, Sharon tells me over the last week, that uh, many of the movies that he recommended me, he never even finished. <laughs> he, just, he just wanted me to watch him so he could laugh. <laughs> he had several unique billisms, I would call them. Things like, and to that point, my favorite to that point is when he would be praying and he would say to the Lord, and to that point, Lord. <laughs> Sunday mornings, he would always say, all minds clear? Most of the time, our minds were completely clear. He would always pray the gospel. Didn't matter over what he was praying for. It could have been food. It could have been closing a service out. It could have been closing out our church council meeting. He would pray the gospel, and he would ask the Lord for forgiveness of sin. Bill had an inquisitive mind, especially about the Bible. I remember one particular Sunday, we were studying in the Gospel of Luke, and there's a parable in the Gospel of Luke about the talents. And Bill came to me with a, just a serious question. In his mind, probably the most serious thing that was going on that day, maybe for a week, and he'd been thinking about it, and he said, I have a very important question I need you to answer for me. And I said, okay. He said, why did the Lord choose to give this many talents to this person and this many talents to this person, and this many talents to this person. And I said, I have no idea. And he said, it's critical to understanding the text. And I said, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I know, I know that that's probably the first thing he said to the Lord when he got to heaven. It's like, you got to tell me why did you give the talents to the one and to the, you know. It was burning. It was on his mind. Bill and I's last conversation that wasn't completely one-sided. I asked him, I said, Bill, what is it like to be so close to just kind of stepping off into the presence of the Lord? What does it feel like? And he looked at me with that serious look. He paused. And he said, I feel like I'm going to get there and have no idea where I'm supposed to go or who I'm supposed to talk to or what I'm supposed to do. In fact, you'll probably get there not too long after that, and I'll still just be standing there, and you'll say, Bill, what have you been doing? And Bill says, I'll just say, I have no idea. I'm just wandering around. 
What did I learn from Bill Edmonds? Well, number one, faithfulness. Faithfulness, both Bill and Sharon have shown me what real faithfulness looks like in suffering. Always, both of them, with honesty and with joy, even in the hard times. He showed me humility. Bill was an intelligent man. He understood so much, whether it was about politics, whether it was about social issues, practical Christian living or ethics. And some of you may know, Bill was a, a, a political prognosticator, prognosticator. He could tell the future. He told me in the primaries, he said, Trump's going to take this thing. And I said, you're a jokester. <laughs> I think the rest of America thought that as well. Bill was right. Now, while I'm convinced that sometimes Bill didn't have all of the answers, so sometimes he would supply answers that sounded good, I think most of the time he was on target. But in my memory, he always presented himself with humility. He was a learner, always interested and willing to ask questions, and he listened to other people. I learned wisdom from Bill. Bill was... He was my sounding board. He could look at a situation and see all of the, the pieces and know how best to handle that situation. He was one of my greatest confidants and someone who I could count on to tell me what I needed to hear. Bill taught me sacrifice. Things were not important to Bill. People were important to Bill. Bill was the kind of person that would, that would give you the shirt off of his back if you needed it. And it wasn't because he had a hundred other golf shirts down in the basement. <laughs> he cared for other people more than he cared for himself. He, he acted with generosity, with his time, with his finances, and with his heart. Bill taught me love. Not because he was this great guy. I'm convinced it was because of Christ in him. Bill truly loved other people more than he loved himself. You don't even know one particular way in which he loved you. We were sitting down to plan this service for you guys to be able to come and celebrate his life. He said to Cameron and I, let's do it on a weekend. Okay. There's no we. We're doing, we're, we're going to be doing, you're going to be off and with the Lord. And he's like, let's do it on a weekend, on a Saturday. So it's easier for people that have to travel long distance. That's the kind of man. Thinking of you, even to the very end. Bill wasn't perfect, but he was constantly being changed by the love of Christ. He was a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ, and, and everything in his life was viewed through the lens of the gospel and the promise of resurrection. In one of our last conversations, I asked Bill what he would want me to say to you today. He paused, and very thoughtfully, he said this. He said, I want you to tell people that suffering happens. Some of us have gone through trials, and others are about to go through trials. But what I want you to tell them that, is that even in the midst of suffering, there is hope. 
To not have hope is to be dead already. Bill's hope was firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. He believed in God, a God who loved us so very much that he sent Jesus into a sin-broken world so that Jesus could take the penalty of our sins and give us eternal life and forgiveness. On Saturday, before Bill stepped into glory, I was reading different passages of Scripture to him. I reminded him of this passage because I, I think he could hear me. He would give me a hand movement or he would do his eyebrows and wink at me. So I read 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He goes on and he says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found result in praise and glory and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel that Bill believed and that many of us here today trust in, friends, it is a treasure. It is the words of life. And what's most amazing is that God has given us this treasure, and as Paul says, he has tucked it away in jars of clay, bodies that expire. Paul says it's to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I think that Paul's words speak to us today. For Bill and Sharon, as they have walked through this difficult suffering, and today as we mourn Bill's departure, Paul reminds us, and he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And he says in verse 16, just a little bit further down, is so sweet been like a healing ointment to my heart these last week. Because Jesus will never leave us, because Jesus will never forsake us, because Jesus will not allow us to be broken beyond repair, Paul says. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen, they are eternal. So today, I know what 
Phil would want you to reflect upon. And it's not his golf score. It's not the record of his managerial achievements, even though he did manage a place called Possum Trot. But especially not be his character or his love. He didn't want you to focus upon him today. He wanted you to see Jesus. He wants all of us who know Jesus to trust him even more in the hard times. He wants those of us who have not yet trusted Jesus to trust Jesus, to ask for forgiveness of sins, and to give your life to him. Bill would not want you to go another day without trusting Jesus Christ. Friends, we are not promised another day. Any number of us could be gone tomorrow. The question is, how are you with God? Scripture tells us that without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot have the peace and hope that Bill had as he stepped from this life to the next. There have been a lot of things that I have reflected upon over the last week. Songs that I think have been helpful for me. There's two verses of a song, one of my favorites called Emmanuel's Land that have been really just a joy to me. I want to share those with you. Heartache only lasts so long. Sometimes it's hard to believe in the moment. But in Emmanuel's land, in the Lord's land, there will be no sorrow, no pain. And it says this in the song, Soon shall the cup of glory wash down earth's bitterest woes. Soon shall the desert briar break into Eden's rose. The curse shall change to blessing the name on earth that's banned, be graven on the white stone in Emmanuel's land. And this one is good. I shall sleep sound in Jesus, filled with his likeness, rise to love and to adore him, to see him with these eyes. Between me and resurrection, but paradise doth stand. Then, then for glory dwelling in Emmanuel's land. Two weeks ago, Bill and I were talking, we began to think together about what heaven might be like. I explained to him what C.S. Lewis had said in Chronicles of Narnia about Aslan's land, that somehow the, the further you went in, the larger it became, the more expansive it was. And I think the quote that you find at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis's quote is probably pretty close to the words Bill may have used on April 2nd, around 3.45 a.m. quote says, I have come home at last. This is my country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all of my life, though I never knew it until now. Come further up. Come further in. May those be our words as well when the time comes. You pray with me.
Father, you are so very good to us. Good to us because you have given us a hope that extends beyond the breath that we have in our lungs. You've given us a hope that extends into eternity through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, you are good and we thank you because you have given to us a friend. A friend to whom we do not have to say goodbye. A friend to whom we can say, we will see you soon. God, I pray that for the sheriff and for the family, God, that you will bring peace and comfort as you already are doing. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen Sharon. It would give her peace. Father, I pray that all of us, as we reflect upon Bill's life, but upon the gospel that Bill believed today, that we would take pause, we would consider our own lives, consider our own relationship with you. That Bill's life would have an effect even now. He constantly reminds us of the gospel, the faithfulness of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's take just a moment to reflect upon Bill and what we have heard. Is not death to die to leave this weary road and join the saints who dwell on high who found their hope with God? It is not.
Consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, as Bill chose this last song, he said, I want to go out with a song and a whistle. So let's stand and let's sing. <laughs>
Luke will close us out. Comes from First Thessalonians chapter four. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. As we dismiss, um, please don't leave. There is a luncheon, I guess it's dinner time, a dinner uh, that we would like to invite everyone to stay for down in the Fellowship Hall. If you're a guest with us, you can go through this door here, take a left all the way to the end of the hallway, take a left through that doorway and go to the bottom of the stairs, you'll find the Fellowship Hall. Thank you for being here.